So friends, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark, to the Gospel of Mark, as we're going to continue our series in Mark, our series called Who is Jesus? The Life of Christ in the Gospel of Mark. And our passage this morning will be in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And to remind ourselves where we are, we've been introduced to Jesus in a very quick, fast fashion, as is Mark's uh, habit, to kind of say, uh, rush us through the events of, of the life of Christ. And we've seen his ministry unfold in the early days of his ministry, his calling of disciples, his preaching of the gospel, his bring bringing healing, casting out of of demons. And we get to kind of the end of a second cycle of those kinds of stories here. Um, And so some of what we read is very similar to what we've read before, but some of it is is quite new. And takes a, a turn in Jesus' ministry that we hadn't seen thus far in Mark's gospel. And so if you'll follow along as I read in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him as and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said if I touch even his garments I will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned about in the crowd and said who touched my garments And his disciples said to him, you you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he'd said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, 
But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the reading of God's word. Well, we get to, um, we've seen quite a, a, a bit of the works of Jesus and the miracles that he has performed thus far. But we come to a very unique, a unique miracle in this story. And this story is kind of broken down into three scenes. And this is the second time that Mark has used this kind of technique in telling these stories. Um, and that is by telling the beginning of one story and the end of this one story and then kind of sandwiching or in between or bracketing uh, another story on the inside. It was probably easy for Mark to, to do that because this is he's describing it kind of in the, the way that these events happen. And so there's three scenes I would like for us to walk through and look at and then to kind of uh, think through some of the, the overall lessons this, this passage teaches us. Here are the three scenes. First, and it's three scenes centered around primarily all those three individuals, but primarily around two individuals. And the first scene is of Jairus. The second scene is of the woman. And then we return again to Jairus, except this time with his with his daughter. And so if you would, let's let's just kind of unpack a little bit of what is going on in this passage. First, we are introduced to uh, Jairus. Jesus is uh, returned from one of his travels around on the um, in the region of the Gerasenes. And he's come back to the other side of the lake, more the Jewish side of the lake. And he is approached by uh, a man named Jairus. Notice verse 22. There came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. So it's interesting that he is actually named. Only two times in Mark's gospel uh, is the recipient of one of the miracles of Jesus actually named. The next one occurs in, in Mark chapter 10. So he's actually named here for us. And he tell us a little bit about him. He is the one of the rulers of the synagogue. So he's a, an administrator of the local gathering places for the people of Israel for their worship. Worship in, in Jesus' day consisted of uh, not just going down to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, but there was an ongoing gathering in the synagogues where worship would pl take place. There would be singing, there would be prayers, and there would be reading of the scriptures, and there would be an explanation of the scriptures. And then they would have individuals who would be uh, charged with overseeing this. Jairus is one of those individuals. And so that means he's a man of kind of influence or standing in the Jewish community. And so Jairus approaches Jesus in verses 22 and 23. And seeing him, that is in seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, made well, and live. Something kind of 
in particular grabbed me with these little world, these little this the words here, my little daughter, the diminutive form for daughter. And this should touch all of us, but I think um, as a dad of daughters, this really kind of leapt off the page for me and started to really put myself into this man Jairus's shoes or sandals. We know that um, in Luke's gospel of this same account, Luke mentions that this is Jairus's only daughter, adding a little bit to the seriousness of what's going on. And we are to understand that death of this little girl is imminent. Matthew's account actually even describes her as having already died at the time when he comes, which is which is possible. Um, Jairus probably left coming to Jesus, imploring him to come and thinking that his daughter was still alive. And when in reality, maybe she had already died. And so Jesus responds to the appeal of this. This man. And the crowds followed him, as it says in verse 24, as they head back to his house. Now, the crowd figures very uh, importantly in this in this uh, second part of this account. Especially one individual in the crowd. And this brings us to the the second scene here. And that is this woman with a bleeding disorder, verses 25 through 34. The woman's condition is described for us in verses 25 through 28, and it is actually one long sentence in the Greek. Let me read the first half of it here. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. A couple of things to note that unlike Jairus, we don't know this woman's name. It's never given to us. But we do know her condition. We know that she has a disease and it has it has to do uh, with the discharge of blood. Which would have rendered her as a faithful Jewish, God fearing Jewish woman. It would have rendered her for the most part of her life unclean and outside of participation in the life of of Israel's religious activities, be it at the temple or in the synagogue. She's she in, in a way, she's very much like the um, the nameless leper that we saw in chapter one, whose skin disease before barred him from access to God's temple. She is experiencing the same thing. And then we also know not only the disease, but the duration of the disease. Uh, Mark is very um, intent on showing us that this is 12 years that she has been experiencing this. That's a long time. We also get to see a little bit of the damage that she is experiencing um, from this disease. And it's kind of twofold. Not only is there like the physical uh, difficulty that she's having to experience. Mark says that she suffered under many physicians. Now, we don't know that if that means that the physicians were causing more harm in their attempted cures or if that despite the physician's best effort, she continued to suffer. 
we don't know. But there was definitely physical suffering uh, and financial suffering, too. She had spent everything she had. Bankrupting herself to try to find some sort of cure for her condition. And so the woman approaches Jesus, and this is the continuation of this one long sentence. Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. And then here's the main verb of that entire sentence. She touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She did not want to trouble this, this rabbi, this teacher. Um, per, perhaps she felt like disturbing him um, with So many people in the crowd demanding so much of his time. She just didn't want to um, disturb him in his ministry. Um, Perhaps she maybe had even overheard the request of Jairus. And thought that she didn't want to trouble, pause Jesus and take him away from going and helping this man with his little daughter. But she also, at the same time, didn't want to miss her chance being close to Jesus. She had so much confidence that Jesus had the ability to heal that she didn't even need a touch from Jesus directly. Unlike Jairus, who asked for Jesus to specifically lay his hands on um, her daughter, his his daughter. She just thought, if I could just even touch a a portion of, of his garments. We see this. Uh, elsewhere, this was kind of a common conception in that in that day that somebody who had these powers to heal that even touching the things that they had touched could bring healing. We see this in um, in the book of Acts where people were wanting to just even have Peter have his shadow cross over them or or handkerchiefs that Paul had because they thought that by those such things that they could be healed. And so she does. She reaches out in faith and grabs a hold of Jesus' garments. And then in verse 29, it tells her, tells of the healing. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And then here is Jesus' response, which is quite interesting. Verse 30, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples uh, thought Jesus's question was was kind of uh, weird or uh, maybe even absurd. (laughs) Basically, their answer was, we're in a crowd of people. Everyone is touching you. But Jesus is talking about a very, very particular touch. This touch of the faith of this woman in his garments, which raises some interesting questions about uh, Jesus's knowledge. We've seen uh, we've seen elsewhere in Mark's gospel, Jesus's ability to read the minds and know the minds of those who had doubts and questions about him. That he could read their thoughts of the religious leaders. Here we have this kind of intersection of Jesus's divinity and his humanity. His divine supernatural power um, resided in Jesus and had the ability to heal. And he knew that power had gone out of him, yet he was still 
unsure of which person in the crowd who touched him. So he turns to ask why. Perhaps, perhaps it's not a limitation of Jesus' knowledge. Um, perhaps, maybe it's his attempt to kind of elicit a confession of the faith of the one who reached out and touched him. So perhaps Jesus is searching, uh, is providing the woman an opportunity to come forward, to testify and to bear witness of what had happened. We don't know, but we know that the, the woman realized that Jesus is asking this question. And so she comes to him as he's looking around to see who, who has done it. In verse 20, or 33, it says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Notice he uses the term which related to its same root word as the term that Jairus used for his own daughter. Notice the compassion of Jesus here. And so this healing, Jesus tells her, resulted from um, his power and her faith and not through some sort of magical ritual with his, his clothes. It's kind of a short way of saying God has healed you in response to your faith. And so now we get to the third part of this, which is returning back to um, Jairus and his daughter. Verse 35, as this woman is standing there healed and as Jesus's movement to this house has been kind of derailed for the moment. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, Jesus was speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus overheard what they said. And so he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And so Jesus does something unusual. He, he only allows, he does not allow the crowd to come, doesn't allow them to follow. He takes only Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and that he, with the ruler and the ones who came to give him this message, they came to the house. And what was happening, what was typical in those days for, for mourning, there was a great deal of commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. This was uh, what was done in that culture in those, those times. A way of marking and mourning the loss of someone in the home was to uh, to um, to have lots of noise and wailing and signaling us. As a matter of fact, there's uh, some ancient sources in the first century speak about this kind of practice. And they would say even the poorest of persons would hire at least two musicians to come to play. And so this is what Jesus arrives hearing this commotion going on and when he had entered the house verse 39 he says why are you making a commotion and weeping the child is not dead but sleeping now jesus is not mistaken here he doesn't believe that she is just sleeping he knows that she is is dead and they all laughed at him he said in verse 40 but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Again, the compassion of Jesus 
on display. And then the miracle takes place. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. It's interesting that she happens to be the same age as this woman has had this condition. And Jesus gives these charges for them to uh, to the ruler, to the mother, to his disciples, to the small group was there that no one is to know about this event. So that could be perhaps why Jesus is saying that she's only sleeping to the musicians and to those who are making all of this commotion. He's sending them out and he is performing this raising from the dead of this little girl. There had been plenty of miracles performed by Jesus thus far. Casting out of demons or cleansing of evil spirits. Healing of various diseases. But this is the first occurrence of raising someone from the dead. A couple of thoughts on this passage. And what strikes, what struck me immediately as I was thinking through this passage is the difference between these two persons, the difference between Jairus and this woman. The man, um, the man's name is known. The woman's name is unknown. The man's role as ruler of the synagogue meant that he was to be uh, often, if not constantly, in a state of ceremonial cleanness was required for him. This woman, on the other hand, was in a perpetual state of ceremonial uncleanness. The man functioned as a leader over Israel's religious life while this woman had minimal ability to participate in Israel's religious life. The man was the ruler of the synagogue, perhaps affluent or influential. He had a family. The woman, on the other hand, was poor, had spent all she had, not influential, and likely without family. Differences between these two persons in this one event. And yet, what also struck out, stood out to me were the similarities. And that is the shared helplessness of their situation. Which was total helplessness of their situation. Jairus' daughter, we're told, is at the point of death. And if we kind of think of Matthew's account of it, that she may have already been dead by the time uh, he had left the house and made his way to, to Jesus. Jairus is seen urgent. He's begging. Here he is prostrate on his face, on the ground. Matthew's account says that he knelt and was kind of face down in front of Jesus. This little girl's not sick. She's, she's at the end. It was... Total helplessness. The woman, on the other hand, was also totally uh, helpless. Twelve years from physician to physician to physician, spending every bit of money that she had. And in the meantime, being a, a virtual outcast in society. So while they were vastly different in their social standing, different sexes, different social classes, different stages of life, but they all shared the same state of helplessness 
And that's a helplessness of us living in a broken and fallen and sinful world. What bonds these two people together is the shared misery of a sin-plagued world. We see a kind of a track record of fallen creation all through Mark's gospel thus far, haven't we? As soon as Jesus comes and he begins to preach the kingdom of God has arrived, we see immediately the effects of the fall in almost every story. The man with an unclean spirit in chapter 1, signifying kind of the spiritual warfare and the demonic side. Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law was, was ill with a sickness, also in chapter 1. The leper, another sickness. This time a skin, uh, skin disease. The paralytic in Mark chapter 2. The man with a withered hand in Mark chapter 3. A violent storm, which is kind of the, the, the effects of sin on the, the natural world, perhaps. A, a demon-oppressed man in chapter 5. Again, with the spiritual warfare and the demonic side. Here, a woman with a long-term disability. And ultimately, death. Even the tragic death of a child. These are all part of this fallen and broken and sinful world. Paul in Romans tells us that all of creation groans, is groaning and subjected to futility because of the bondage of, of sin in the world. Paul, when it comes to speaking about death and its origins, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. So the result of death into the world is a result of the sin of the world, in the world. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, is just as sin came into the world through one man, and here's a reference to Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So the total shared helplessness of their situation of living in a fallen world. But in this account, we also see another uh, similarity. We also see the, the intersection of human despair and human helplessness as it interacts with the power of God in Jesus Christ. We see their shared faith in this same authoritative messianic savior. Both are utterly helpless and desperate, but both come to Jesus. Jairus thinks that his girl just needs a touch from Jesus. The woman just thinks she needs to touch Jesus. But they both believe. And that teaches us quite a bit about faith. Faith is recognizing there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. All we could do is express our full dependence upon God's saving power. And Jesus has demonstrated that he alone has the authority to bring restoration to creation. Jesus is the son of God, and he is the only one who has authority over demons, over disasters, over diseases, and now even over death itself. Jairus' daughter being raised is the first act that we see of someone being raised from the dead. And it's the first glimpse um, of the, the defeat of the greatest of all of our enemies, death itself. Death has no power over 
Jesus. So what we see in this story is uh, kind of a foretaste of the authority that we will see in Jesus later. And this is perhaps why Jesus didn't want a lot of witnesses to this event. What we're going to see later is Jesus himself being raised from the grave after his crucifixion. His conquering over death and his victory over suffering. What we have with this story is kind of a glimpse, a little foretaste, a little preview of that. And his resurrection, we are told, is a foretaste of the resurrection that we will experience. That all of us who trust in Christ and believe in his restoration and forgiving authority. That it's by our identification with Jesus in his life and his death and his burial. That we who profess faith in him, that we will uh, are spiritually raised with Jesus now. And we will be raised again and seated with him at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that we get this by virtue of his resurrection. Jairus' daughter is raised in this story. The sad part of the story that we often miss is that um, she dies eventually. This... uh, this recitation of this, this little girl from the dead um, was a matter for much rejoicing for that family. And it demonstrated the power of Jesus. But it really was only a preview and a foreshadowing of what we get to experience. Jesus alone has the power to save. So friends, I would, um, I would, I would hope for all of us that we would that we would um, model ourselves after these individuals, that we would acknowledge the fallenness of this world and the pain and the difficulty that comes from living in this world, that we still, uh, the restoration, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, that awaits Christ's coming When he comes to judge those who reject him fully and finally. So we wait in the meantime, along with all of creation, we wait groaning. But friends, I I pray that we would, in the meantime, have this faith that even in our utter helplessness, that we would turn and trust to Jesus. We recognize his Authority and power alone to restore, to bring healing to us. And a healing that we will get ultimately and finally when he comes back. That's my prayer for us today. And so I would invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. And what a truly amazing stories these are that you've given to us. We want to praise you and thank you for the way in which Jesus came and ministered with compassion 
to the helpless and to the hurting. And we know, God, that during his earthly ministry here, he was preparing for the ultimate ministry of his death on the cross and that his resurrection from the dead. God, we thank you that it's through faith in him that we are united to Jesus. And that we, too, are raised with him. God, we pray that as we face a fallen and broken and sinful world, we remember that Jesus, your son and our savior, has ultimate authority over all of it. We know that death has been defeated and he has conquered the grave. But we look in faith and believe in the day when we will be raised with Christ forever. So God, we pray in the meantime, you give us eyes. Eyes of faith to focus on Jesus. That even now we would begin to experience some Uh, In small ways, the, the restoration that he comes to bring. We ask that you do this in Christ's mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, I invite you to stand as we receive our closing benediction this morning. And if anyone would like um, some prayer uh, or if there's anything in your um, in your life that you would like some prayer about or if you have some questions about uh, this teaching, I'd be glad to to meet with you and be up here for several minutes if you if you'd like. Now, brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God, our father. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.